Are you a Stuff to Blow Your Mind fan? Are you a New Yorker? Do you plan to attend this year's New York Comic Con? If so, then you've got to check out our exclusive live show, NYCC Presents Stuff to Blow Your Mind Live Stranger Science. Join all three of us as we record a live podcast about the exciting science and tantalizing pseudoscience underlying the hit Netflix show Stranger Things. It all goes down Friday, October 6th from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. at the Hudson Mercantile in Manhattan. Stuff You Missed in History Class has a show right before us, so you can really double down. Learn more and buy your tickets today at NewYorkComicCon.com slash NYCC hyphen presents. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Christian Sager. Robert, do you remember this movie? This is how a lot of Stuff to Blow Your Mind episodes begin. (laughs) But do you remember this movie that had Sinbad in it from the 90s where he played a genie? Ah, you're you're discussing uh, the film Shazam. Yeah, but I don't think Sinbad's actually in it. I just (laughs) think a lot of people remember Sinbad being in it. It turns out it's Shaquille O'Neal who... Right. The gene. And it's Kazam as opposed to Shazam. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This is a, this is a big deal. This is, this is one of those cases where, uh, the, the, the joke, uh, the conspiracy theory, all of it sort of wrapped together, like ends up actually taking shape because I believe it's a, a college humor, uh, came around and eventually put out, like they got Sinbad. Oh, is that uh, right? Yeah. I didn't know this. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. They, they got Sinbad. They filmed him in like a, a, a scene from this movie and they put all these filters over it to make it look like it was retrieved, uh, you know, video footage from a VHS <laughs> tape from the, the nineties. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And essentially what we're talking about here is actually, and I'm, I hesitate to say this, a phenomena that many <laughs> people report uh, and it's all connected and bundled under terminology referred to as the Mandela effect. Yeah, it basically comes down to something that is an alleged shared false memory where uh, it gets kind of, it gets more complicated than that. And we're going to discuss it. But the idea is that you'll have multiple people sharing a false memory, generally of something from sort of you know, obscure pop culture, but in some cases, yeah. like world history, yeah. that, that everyone has the same mistaken notion in their mind. And then they suddenly say, hey, why do we why do we all believe this thing that simply is not so? You can go to Sinbad's filmography on <laughs> IMDb and clearly that he was never in such a film. It's not listed. I mean, you can you can you can get into situations where, all right, there are films that are not maybe not listed on IMDb because they never like reached a, com- a stage of completion. Yeah. But. People claim to have remembered seeing it or seeing trailers for it. So it would – for that to be the case, for, for it to have legitimately existed in some form or another, uh, like they would have had to have, have seen it or at least seen a trailer. Right. Well, but I think you're spending too much time thinking about <laughs> the possibilities here because I think it's pretty obvious that it, it's just the people who thought that they had seen Shazam with Sinbad are actually originally from an alternate reality. Oh, yes. Well – there's there's that argument, right? <laughs> or that a time traveler traveled back in time and changed time, and we're all remembering it now only because of this Sinbad movie. Ah, they traced the like the butterfly effect, and they said if we can stop the Shazam movie from existing, then we'll um, 
will, will prevent, say, World War III. Exactly. Yeah. Now, those of you out there might think I'm being a facetious jerk right now, but actually that is a explanation for this effect. What we're talking about, again, the Mandela effect, you're going to have a hard time finding legitimate academic research done on this topic, but wow, it is all over the internet. Like when I started doing research on this yesterday, every listicle site had a 22 instances of the Mandela effect that you won't remember or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you'll find Reddits where people are arguing back and forth about the, the various uh, ridiculous uh, conspiracy theory explanations like, oh, it's it's a glitch in the matrix. We're all living right. in a computer simulation. And this is because somebody, you know, hit delete on Shazam by accident <laughs> or uh, or, yeah, or it's the we've drifted over into a, an alternate reality. Then the only difference is that there's no Shazam movie in this universe. Yeah. And I also want to make it clear, too, like we're not here to make fun of the idea of alternate realities or time travel. Those are actually topics oh, yeah. that we are going to cover in the future on this show, yeah. but we're going to cover them from an actual research angle. Yeah, the computer simulation uh, angle came up uh, recently in an episode that I did with Joe about uh, growing a universe in a bottle, creating a universe in yeah. a lab. Yeah, uh, the thing, but, but a lot of this comes down to Occam's razor, right? What is the, what is the, the most reasonable explanation that we can, we can take, you know? If we're, if we're forced to, to draw Occam's razor from its sheath, uh, which of course this is named for William of Ockham. Uh, then it's, it's simple, it's the simple notion that among competing hypotheses, the one with the fewest assumptions should be selected. Right. So should we assume that there are multiple realities and we're shifting among them? Should we assume that we're living in a computer simulation? Or should we assume based on what we know about memory and, uh, and how fallible it is and how malleable it is, that that is where we can place all the blame for this uh, shared uh, misinformation. Yeah, this is especially interesting coming on the heels of our alien abduction two-parter that we did because we talk a little bit in those episodes about the science behind inserting false memories and how easy that actually turns out to be. There's been a lot of research done on that. And this seems to be similar, but just on a much smaller level, right? Instead of uh, remembering that you were abducted by aliens, you remember a movie that Sinbad didn't make. Yes. Now, well, let's go ahead and get just the, the name out of the way because we are saying Mandela effect, not Mandela uh, right. Which was, would sound more esoteric and mysterious, but no, Mandela as in Nelson Mandela. Right, yeah. So the, the popular example, actually more popular than the Sinbad example, is that some people seem certain that they remember Nelson Mandela dying in the 1980s, and they think they saw his funeral on television. Or more specifically, they remember that he died in prison. Oh, right, yeah. As opposed yeah. to, you know, dying later after he, like, which I've, I have a hard time relating to this one because I distinctly remember like news footage about uh, his release. Getting out of yeah. prison. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he actually died in 2013. So what's going on here? Well, it this seems like a case of false memories, right? Just like we talked about in those alien abduction episodes. But some people do wonder if they're remembering something from an alternate reality or if a time traveler slightly altered our present. So Robert and I were like, this is a kind of fascinating topic. Why don't we dive into this and see what the research says? Um, most commentators out there, I want to be clear about this, suggest that these are examples of false memories that are just shaped by similar factors that are affecting multiple people, okay? 
But the main proponent of this is a person named Fiona Broom. Uh, and that, that sounds like a witch name. It does sound like, a like a made up <laughs> witch name. Uh, but Fiona Broom is a quote paranormal consultant who dubbed this the Mandela effect. She claims that perhaps thousands of other people have the same experience and she points to speculation of alternate realities as an explanation. And then as I dug deeper, I found out that this actually all occurred in our backyard here in Atlanta at our local sci-fi comic book fantasy uh, convention slash party, Dragon Con. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So it was at Dragon Con in 2010. She was in, she was there. Apparently she was a guest. They have a paranormal track where people talk about things like this. And uh, she was in the VIP suite and a security person mentioned to the other people in the room, Hey, do you remember when Nelson Mandela died in the eighties, but then he just died like it actually, and this was in 2010. Sorry. He hadn't even died yet. He just said, remember when Nelson Mandela died in the eighties and he was still alive Mm -hmm. and nobody else remembers that. And she was like, I remember that too. And out of that conversation was born this whole thing. Uh, Another example, she says also comes from Dragon Con. She was there and someone insisted they remembered a Star Trek episode that according to one star of the show was never filmed. So there was a person in the audience who clearly remembered seeing this episode but it had never actually been filmed. Maybe they had read about it in so much detail that they thought they had seen it. They they hmm. false remembered it. Anyways, the quote from from Fiona Broom's site, she actually has a site. I think it's the MandelaEffect.com or .net or something like that. She has a book coming out. This is profitable. And she says on her site, these aren't simple errors in memory. They seem to be fully constructed incidents or sequential events from the past. They exceed the normal range of forgetfulness. So she's saying this is something beyond just our, our memory being fallible. Well, I, I strongly disagree with that. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll, we'll discuss. I do too. You know, what's funny is like, I, on our show, I'm usually the one who's most willing – well, maybe not most willing out of the three of us. But I'm always like I want to give these people a chance. Like mm-hmm. I want to give their idea a chance. Let's let's, you know, kind of poke at it and see how it works. But immediately the, with this one, my reaction is just like nope. Like that, that just doesn't sound like a thing. I feel like you're just making something up. Well, the thing is like there's basically a statement that, that she's making. Something amazing is happening. And it's blank. I mm. agree with the first part of that statement because something amazing yeah. is happening. But the what's amazing about it is what it reveals about our memory and, and how we influence each other's memory of events. Now, I do I do have to say I really wish we could rename this the Shazam effect instead of the Mandela effect. Yeah. Because when you call it the Mandela effect, and I'm sure our South African listeners will agree – it betrays a, a sense of historical ignorance. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't want to be too judgy with that, but because I think that the, the relatable example of this that, that I can relate to is, for instance, there's a period about a year or two before Gene Wilder's actual death. Right. That I, I kind of had in my mind that he had died, uh, which, you know, he just had, wasn't acting in, in anything. He just kind of, you know. Yeah, I think he stopped out working for like the last 10 or 15 years of his life, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he just got super choosy with his projects and, mm-hmm. you know, didn't, wasn't really that into doing it anymore, uh, which is fine. He has every, he had every right to, to do that. But for some reason, uh, you know, when it comes to the existence of celebrities, yeah. uh, somehow my mind kind of clicked it off that, oh, he's an older guy. He must, he, he died or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And granted, th- that was allowed to happen because, 
I like Gene Wilder, but I'm not a Gene Wilder super fan. I'm yeah. not the kind. I wasn't checking his IMDb profile every day for up uh, upcoming projects. Your RAM wasn't backing up information about what was going on with Gene Wilder currently. If there was any media reportage on it, right? Right. Yeah. So g- kind of like in the in my my rearview mirrors, or you know, in my peripheral cultural vision, the. The, the the timeline of Gene Wilder had ended. And yeah. so I, I think what's happening with Nelson Mandela's case is that for many people, uh, you know, maybe African, uh, South African politics, uh, especially is not something that they're zeroed in on. It's happening in, in their peripheral vision. Yeah. It's happening based on what is, you know, climbing up through the news cycle to, to greet them. And therefore the timeline of Nelson Mandela ended you know, in his incarceration. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think it's fair to say that it would be extremely rare to find this effect in South Africa. Like yes. I would imagine that citizens of South Africa are probably very aware of how long he was in prison, when he passed away, when he was, you know, in charge of the country, et cetera. Like there isn't this, uh, uh, sort of like weird, uh, cognitive distance from it, right? Right. Um, so let's go through some other examples here. We talked okay. about Shazam and Sinbad, and we've talked about the Mandela one. What about the Berenstain Bears? Oh, yes. This one, of course, relates to the the spelling of the Berenstain Bears, as in the, the Berenstain Bears children's book series, mm-hmm. whether it's spelled uh, Berenstain or Berenstain. Steinstein. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it basically comes down to an argument over what, how, how to pronounce the name, right? Right. Yeah. And it's also like, like, I think this one just is like a simple instance of misspelling and also cognitive bias, right? And that, like, we're more used to Stein being in names than Stain being in names. So our brain sort of self-corrects if you see it as Stain and turns it into Stein, right? Yeah. Uh, it, there was another one like this that I saw floating around where people were like, this is going to blow your mind. You ready for it? The peanut butter isn't Jiffy peanut butter. It's just Jiff peanut butter. Hmm. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Like I did, like in the back of my head, I did think of it as Jiffy peanut butter. But I think that's just because the word Jiffy is probably used more often and is probably like closer to the surface of my memory data bank Mm -hmm. than the word Jiff, which most people use now to describe like an image file type. Yeah. Huh. Now, uh, one, I don't think this is a widespread example, but uh, this one came up recently I, on Twitter. Uh, Kumail Nanjani shared uh, his amazement that Dan Aykroyd, as yeah. in Dan Aykroyd of the Ghostbusters, uh, that his name, his last name is spelled A-Y-K-R-O-Y-D, and there's no, like, C, uh, C-K going yeah. on in there. And, uh, and I, when I read that, I was like, you know, I kind of, just to, uh, that's odd as well. You know, I, I've certainly seen his name plenty of times, but for some reason, I just kind of thought there was a C in there. Yeah, me too. And I did, definitely didn't think there was a Y at the beginning. I mean, uh, there's two Ys in his name. Yeah. I didn't think there was a A-Y. Exactly. Like, that's another perfect one where it's like, how many Dan Aykroyd movies have I seen? But how closely am I paying attention to the spelling of his name versus just how I think it should be spelled on how it sounds? Yeah. yeah. Members of the Aykroyd family, I'm sure, ha- do not have this uh, this effect. Right. So I've got an example here actually from the research that is much smaller in that it doesn't pertain to pop culture and won't be as broadly felt, but is a really good example of how this takes place. Okay. 
at a town clock at the Bologna Centrale railway station, which was damaged in a massacre in 1980. When they surveyed people, 92% of them falsely remembered that this specific town clock had stopped working since the bombing. Actually, what had happened was they repaired the clock immediately after the attack, but then they manually stopped it 16 years later in commemoration. And these are people who lived in the area, Mm -hmm. but they had basically erased the 16 years between the bombing and it being turned off where it was working. And again, it's just how memory works, I think, more than it is an example of all these people sliding into an alternate dimension. Now, one fun personal example of this that I that I have to share uh, concerns the Konami uh, video game for the original Nintendo Entertainment System, Top Gun, the second mission. Yeah, I vaguely remember this. Okay, so it's tied into the Top Gun movie. Yes, but it was very much it was a loose kind of a sequel because you're presumably you're still Maverick, you're still Tom Cruise, okay, and you're going up in these little dogfights against progressively more difficult like Soviet. Uh, uh, dog fighters. Oh, okay. I was thinking yeah. it was like Goose, Iceman. No, no. Well, remember, Goose died in the that. first one. I know, but maybe you fight as Ghost. Well, this is the <laughs> thing. I was, um, I, it, it's, at some point in the, in the past like 10 years, I was reminiscing about this game with yeah. my friend Dave, and I was joking to him that, uh, that at the end you fight Goose because they, that there's this reveal that Goose uh, didn't die in the first one that the Soviets, uh, you know, fished him out of the water and they brainwashed him into a, you know, a Soviet uh, agent. And so now he's a like, so- a, you've winter soldiered. Yeah. Goose. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I joked about it. And then I think, I think Dave kind of, you know, thinking back on it, kind of believed that it was real. Oh, okay. And I kind of had, and since I don't think about, um, Top Gun uh, 2 all the time. Yeah. I kind of fooled myself a little bit. So we'd talk about it later and he was, and he would, he would ask like, was, well, is, is that, isn't Goose the villain in Top Gun 2? And I think, yeah, I think, I think he is. Uh, and then I have to remember, oh wait, I made that up. That was just a joke. Well, so did this come back up again recently? Cause they announced, Tom Cruise announced that they're yeah. actually doing a Top Gun 2. I know. I, I feel like I you're like, I've got in. the script done. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like it'll be a personal betrayal if Goose is not the, yeah. uh, the winter soldier villain of Top Gun 2. Well, Anthony Edwards, if you're listening, please plead with Tom Cruise to let you get Winter Soldier. I know he wants in. (laughs) So for me, I don't have a lot of examples of this with I I just, when things like this happened, I just often say like, oh, there goes your memory, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are definitely moments, especially as I'm getting older, where I'm like acutely aware, it's funny to use that term, but I'm, I'm very aware of how my memory is starting to fail, not in like a, like an Alzheimer's type way or anything, but just in like things like this that I don't really keep close to the surface, I tend to forget over a long period of time, right? Well, it's like the first, uh, you know, several decades of your life are about accumulation, Mm-hmm. And then you run out of room and stuff just starts leaking out. Yeah, exactly. Like sometimes my wife will be like, I can't believe you don't remember this important event that happened. And I'm like, well, look, I've got 300 pages of D&D manuals up yeah. here. Like I'm going to have to start deleting those in order to keep all this other information. So, yeah, I mean, I, it happens. My memory's fallible. I'll misremember an actor who was in a movie, for instance, or maybe I'll think an older celebrity is already dead. Like your instance with Gene Wilder happened to me when Martin Landau died recently. I was like, what, didn't that guy already die like Mm -hmm. 10 years ago? But, you know, and I feel bad, but then I'm like, well, he just hasn't been working for a while, right? The last thing I remember him in was probably Ed Wood. Yeah. So 
you know, I, I definitely get spelling and pronunciation of things wrong, as many of the listeners of the show know. But uh, I've never felt like there's anything going on here beyond the fallibility of my recollection. But let's – you want to take a break? Yeah, let's and, take a break. And then when we come back, let's get into some of the theories surrounding this before we hit the science. Okay, we're back. So, what are let's let's cover like the broad gamut of I guess wild theories as to what's going on here with what is called the Mandela effect. All right. Well, uh, as, as we already mentioned, there's the alternate reality multiverse view of it. Right. There's the uh, the idea that we're in a computer simulation that some far future civilization has uh, decided that the best way for us to live is to live in a simulation of an earlier, ha, more simple time. You know what's uh, uh, interesting to me about that is like when you take like philosophy 101 in mm-hmm. school, right? You learn about Descartes and his whole uh, argument with himself centuries ago mm-hmm. about whether or not his brain was actually in a jar being tortured by a demon yeah. and reality was just all fake illusions. It's essentially the same thing, yeah. just a different framework. Yeah, it's actually a topic that Joe and I discussed on the recent episode, uh, Order Out of Chaos, How to Create a Universe. Oh, yeah. Um, it's it, it's a fascinating area of sort of thought experiment and discussion. Uh, and there's some, there's some interesting arguments on both sides, but, uh, you know, it's, it's again, it's one of those cases where when we're looking at, at, at an alleged, uh, phenomenon in our world, uh, what, what hypothesis, uh, entails the fewest assumptions about reality? Right. Yeah. And you can see how, like, you know, you go back and you look at that Descartes stuff and he pretty firmly was able to ground his argument and say, well, the, the world is actually real. I'm not mm-hmm. a brain in a jar. But you can see how in our present day circumstances, because so much of life is simulated via entertainment or computers, right, for most of us, um, that it, it would be easy to fall back on that and be like, well, wait a minute. What if none of this is real? Well, it's interesting that a lot of this relates to thinking about the human mind and the human experience in terms of a computer. Yeah. Because in therein lies the, uh, the, the real error, I think, because we tend to think of our mind – as, uh, as, as like video footage in a surveillance, uh, uh, you know, system or just a computer record of what has occurred. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then when we pull up an actual computer record of what has occurred, Sinbad's IMDB profile, for instance, <laughs> right. we say, whoa, what's going on? Uh, my database doesn't match with this database, yeah. but I, but we're resistant to completely throw out our own database, not realizing that, that memory, of course, is full of flaws and holes and yeah. false memories and, uh, and false flourishes, uh, as we will discuss. There is something inherently egocentric yeah. about the argument that it's like, no, I, have to be the center of things, even though these other records are different from my internal record, they must be wrong. And it's clearly not me. Yeah. It's like, am I wrong or do we live in a computer simulation? I'm, I'm, I'm going with the computer simulation. (laughs) And again, like I'd love to say, man, if there's evidence out there that we live in a computer simulation, send it our way. And I mean, I know people actually have brought this up to us before and said, you guys should do an episode on it. But like, that seems to be something that has more evidence to it 
elsewhere yeah. than me not remembering a Sinbad movie. I'm going to use this the next time I forget something at the grocery store. And my <laughs> wife says, hey, did you pick up the such and such? I would go, well, you see, we live in a computer simulation, I think. We're just – this This is essentially turning into excuses for our wives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, OK. Before we go too far down that road, how about we revisit a Stuff to Blow Your Mind favorite, which is uh, psychologist Daniel Schachter in his book, The Seven Sins of Memory. Yes, the seven sins of memory, uh, how the mind forgets and remembers. It's a, it's a fabulous book. I recommend anyone who is more interested in a deeper dive here, check this out. Um, now here's an interesting memory tidbit. I can, I honestly cannot remember if I have seen Daniel Schachter speak on this live at okay. the World Science Festival or if I've merely seen a video of yeah. him speaking about this. Um, I think I saw him live but I could be mistaken. Yeah, that's happened to me before for, for sure. Especially now, like when you go to conferences and you can watch the events from like your hotel room sometimes mm-hmm. on the TV as yeah. it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not certain, but th- this might be a, <laughs> a, you know, a false memory as well. But he basically takes the, the, the way our memory works and the way that we form false memories and he breaks them down into seven different categories. Uh, I've hit this on the on the show before, and I think I've, we've done it recently in the uh, alien abduction. So I'll try and be quick with it here. But there's transience. This is the weakening weakening or loss of memory over time. There's absent mindedness. So this just has to do with attention and memory. And I think we can already see how these line up with, say, the Shazam example. Yeah. You know, transience. It's been a while since the nineties. <laughs> absent mindedness. Maybe you didn't care that much about Sinbad movies to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and then there's blocking. This is failed attempts to recall tidbits of memory. So you're trying to remember a film that came out of the night. Maybe you're trying to remember Kazam and then uh, you, you end up, um, you know, blocking it somehow. Maybe you saw Kazam and you're trying to, to forget it. Yes. And then there's a misattribution. This is we crawl, we recall an authentic memory, but aspects of it are misattributed. And that, of course, is key into what we're talking about here. Yeah. Suggestibility. This is the power of suggestion, the ability for someone else to make a suggestion about what you should recall, or what you do recall, right. and it, affect your memory. So an example of this would be like you saw Kazam with Shaquille O'Neal, but then your friend was like, wouldn't it be cooler if Sinbad was in that movie? And mm-hmm. then 20 years pass and you remember Sinbad being in that movie. Yeah. Or, for instance, this came up just the other other night uh, with my wife and I because we sat down to watch the latest episode of Rick and Morty, okay. which yeah. is – the Defenders Part Three. Oh, okay. okay. And they're, the characters are talking about their previous adventures with the Defenders, but they haven't actually shown them on the TV show. It's right. just off-screen adventures. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, my wife asked me. She said, "Is that a previous episode? Did we see that one?" Yeah. And uh, if I had insisted that we we had, if I thought that we had, I could have probably made a pretty strong case because I'm the one who fills their head with useless right. uh, TV information. Uh, but. I was able to 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 sort of see through it and say no 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 they're they're doing a bit here. They're this like is I read about this. I haven't actually seen this, but it's essentially like Rick and Morty are part of like a group like the Avengers, right. sort of. Okay, yeah, and they there have been past adventures, but they don't actually factor into any previous episode. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So then there's bias. Uh, this is just you know the power of bias to influence memories. There's persistence, the failure of, me- of uh, the memory system uh, that involves the unwanted recall of information that is dis- that is disturbing. Again, maybe you're just trying to forget that Kazam movie. Yeah, I mean, persistent. <laughs> it sounds like the kind of film that you know if one if it existed and one saw it, you might want to. Do get you know the it. only reason I know about that movie is because of a podcast. That podcast, how did this get made? Which is all oh, yeah. about comedians. They did watching... one on Kazam. Yeah. Oh. 
Okay. They just watch bad movies and talk about them. And I remember their conversation about how bad that movie is stronger than I remember that movie ever existing. Ah, man, we're still waiting for a shack to make that great film. You know? What? You never saw Steel? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I saw, I think I saw part of it. I want to see a, a film adaptation of Shaq Fu, his video oh, game. Oh, yeah, yeah. So those are the seven sins of memory. Some of those are going to be more important than others as we move forward. So one of the key things to keep in mind is the, that, uh, that you can have binding failures in what's called memory binding. So uh, this is where a false memory can certainly emerge on the individual level. So we're going to we're going to focus on individual false memories before we get into the idea that we can share them. Right. OK. So memory binding is the gluing together of various components of an experience into a whole. OK. A binding failure uh, at the time the event occurs, an action or object is not properly bound uh, to a particular time and place. And these can cause actual actions and objects to bind together incorrectly. But they can also drag in events that uh, we've merely thought about or imagined. So one example that, that Shakhtar always brings up is this, this real-life example of a, a woman who was assaulted and there was a TV on in the room and she – she was able to it, it caused this binding failure where she put the face of the individual on the TV okay. as the face of the attacker. Yeah. Now another example he brings up is a, a particular experiment where he took younger and older adults and they were shown one object and then asked to imagine a similar object. Okay. Uh, so they were dealing with like magnifying glass and then a lollipop. Uh, and then two dissimilar objects. And older adults were more likely to say they'd actually seen the lollipop that they were asked to imagine instead of the magnifying glass that they actually saw. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And I would imagine like a, a t- an empirical test like this would probably have like measurable amounts of time in between right. the memories. Right. And now another, this is another big one too, is the misattribution for the source of memories. So people regularly say that they read something in the newspaper or they saw it on the news when actually a friend told them or they saw it in an, in an advertisement or mm-hmm. something. So in, in one particular study, and this is one that uh, Schachter was involved with in 1984 with uh, uh, Harbluck and uh, McLaughlin, uh, participants with normal memories uh, were uh, shown to regularly make mistakes of thinking they had acquired a trivial fact from a newspaper when actually the experiment, uh, it's the experimenters themselves had supplied it. I have a similar study to talk about r- uh, related to that later mm-hmm. on in the episode. Yeah. I think this one is especially, I mean, this goes beyond contemplations of, uh, uh, of Shazam and whatnot because, you know, clearly we're, we're in an age now where we have a lot of misinformation that is out there. Mm-hmm. Some of it intentionally, uh, confusing, you know, can intentionally, uh, uh crafted to mislead individuals. Yeah. And so even, you know, it, it's easy to see how people would get their memories crossed, especially with all the information that's coming out you know, on various social media accounts. Yeah, I think that this is a really good example of why media literacy is so important and understanding how media is made, like whether it's your newspaper or Wikipedia mm-hmm. or your podcast that you're listening to, right? Yeah. Like, like having a general idea of how that information is coming to you so you can judge for yourself whether or not that is worth storing a memory of, right? And, and I think our go-to with newspapers for the longest time, maybe that's starting to fade now, was, okay, I can trust that. If it's printed on that kind of paper and that and it's in that big font, mm-hmm. that's a true thing, right? Yeah. But then the dangerous part is when it's days later and you have this, this fact or this viewpoint rolling around in your head and you have to ask yourself – 
did I did I get that from the New York Times? Did yeah. I get that from Reuters? Or did I get that from uh, Inquirer? From Inquirer, or just or somebody on Twitter who's just very alarmist, right? And 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 therefore, should I build anything on that? Should I build any of my thoughts on that foundation? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we are definitely in a period of time where it's very it's it's easier for this stuff to happen. I think. And like, I think it's sort of contingent upon all of us to train ourselves to be able to sort of, uh, what, what would be the term here? Cut the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. Now, another, uh, memory error that is worth uh, focusing on here again for the individual, uh, false memory formation is, uh, that of a, a memory conjunction error. So a memory conjunction error is a, is, is common. And this occurs when we incorrectly combine parts of previously experienced memories to create an entirely new memory. For example, such an error uh, has occurred uh, when, when people are remembering the, you know, that they see the word toothache after viewing the words toothpick and earache instead. Okay. Yeah. I've had this occur when referring to notes or, uh, uh, you know, there are just going to be two particular words in a sentence and then they end up forming together into a, a different word. We had that. OK, this week. Here's a little behind the scenes for you mm-hmm. listeners. So the other episode we're recording this week is about Clio Dynamics. And mm-hmm. both Robert and I, you know, we spent hours doing this research ahead of time, just staring at these notes, typing them out, reading article after article after article. And reading that word over and over again, typing that word yeah. over and over again. And yet uh, I could not get it to stick the landing in my brain. Like mm-hmm. even after eight hours of reading about it, my wife came home and said, well, what were you researching today? And I was like, uh, kerfluffle dynamo. <laughs> I don't know. Like it couldn't, it wouldn't stick for some reason. So it's Clio dynamics. And I kept combining it in my head with, uh, teledildonics, <laughs> which has come up in the past concerning like the future of virtual sex. Well, that's the other thing too, is that you and I and Joe are just constantly absorbing so much information that it's hard to get all of it to stick. Right. Yeah. Like I think a lot of people, when they meet us, assume that we have all like 900 episodes we've done, like at total recall in our brain mm-hmm. and it's hard you know sometimes that stuff i only remember like the main like i don't know three or four points of an episode six months later <laughs> yeah indeed it all just becomes sort of a, a confused jelly in there uh, <laughs> now uh, as we've stressed many times uh, on the show m- uh, merely recalling a memory also entails reconsolidation of that memory so each memory is a thing of soft clay and by touching it we alter its form the memories you handle the most are sometimes the one you can trust the least and uh and this is important to note too our brains work that don't work this way for you know no reason reconsolidation can aid in learning it strengthens neural connections and allows the formation of new associations like essentially it's about updating your knowledge of a thing mm-hmm. but uh you know the, the way the human mind works and the complexity of the, of the of the modern human mind is that you can update existing information with false information, with purely emotional information, and it just changes it over time. Uh, and, it, and it also can occur just sort of based on when you were absorbing other information. So there's an article in Ian Magazine uh, on this, uh, on, on the Mandela effect from Caitlin Amont, and uh, she brings up the example of Alexander Hamilton. So here's the, here's, this is all pre-Hamilton the musical. I'm not sure to what extent that would change this, but... Yeah. For a lot of people, you went to school, you learned that uh, Alexander Hamilton was a founding father of the U.S., but never a U.S. president. But a study on false memories from uh, 2016, this was published in Psychological Science, titled Recognizing the Presidents, Was Alexander Hamilton President? 
This uh, looked at who most Americans identify as presidents, and the subjects were more likely to incorrectly select Hamilton, but not several other actual former presidents. Mm -hmm. Hamilton simply became encoded at the same time as the other presidents, wired together. Yeah, Ben Franklin is similar to this. That's another one where, like, you learn about Ben Franklin at the same time as you learn about the founding fathers and the first presidents of the country, and, Mm -hmm. and, and then... 20 years later as an adult, your brain just kind of wires it all together and goes, wait, he was a president, wasn't he? And then somebody goes, oh, come on. No, he wasn't, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, even, you know, there was a time I remember where we, where we had to, in school, memorize all the presidents of the United States in yeah. order. And, you know, maybe you even had a, a visual aid. There were little pictures of all of these guys. And and I didn't retain that completely. I, so I, I don't know to what extent I could sit here and, and get a 100% Oof. on a – uh, you know, presidential history uh, exam. I so I can understand how this kind of thing happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's one of those things where like when, you, when you're little and you're learning that stuff in school, you're like agonizing over being able to actually remember all however many of them there were. <laughs> and now here in the present day, it's just kind of like when is there ever a moment when it comes up where it's like if you don't know when Grover Cleveland was mm-hmm. president, then it's going to be like an absolute, uh, you know, life threatening scenario. Yeah. Well, our American history education tends to be kind of rushed. And mm-hmm. and even and even then, if you're going back and doing deep dives, you're doing deep dives into certain sections of history. So, yeah. you know, the formation of the country, the Civil War, uh, you know, 20th century history, et cetera. And there's still going to be holes and, and also just some less uh, newsworthy, less interesting uh phases in presidential history. But to bring it back to Shazam, uh, it's easy to walk through the various ways that a vague pop culture or historical memory could get twisted around in your mind. So you remember that there was that film called Kazam. It starred Shaq. And Shaq plus Kazam kind of sounds like Shazam, uh, which is uh, the name of a comic book character. So it's not just a completely new nonsense word. Uh, Shazam, this is like a major comic guy, right? Yeah, they're actually making a Shazam movie pretty soon that The Rock is going to be in. Oh, man. Uh, but it's uh, – so Shazam – here's here's a f- fun uh, memory fact for you. A lot of people thought the name of the character was Shazam for a very long time. The name of the character was actually Captain Marvel. Huh. But uh, he says Shazam to turn from a little boy into like the Superman figure, right? Oh, man. Is that – is that his current power? He's really a boy? Oh, yeah. He's always been like a little huh. 10-year-old kid and and his power is to turn into like a like a magical Superman. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So this movie, we're going to have some child that turns into The Rock. Yeah, uh, I think The Rock is playing the villain in this, but I'm not sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but it might be A Child Turns Into The Rock, which, by the way, that's the premise of the new Jumanji movie coming out, too. That A Child Turns Into The Rock? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I think the bottom line, though, is you're telling me there's still a chance that Sinbad could play Shazam in an actual film. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't see why this can't happen. <laughs> now, an- another aspect to, to all of this is the idea that the character is a genie. Yeah. And uh, and a, a genie is, of course, a creature of, of uh, that emerges from Arabic mythology. Sinbad, the actor, his name is Sinbad. Sinbad, of course, also emerges from uh, from from folk tales and mythology of uh, of the uh, the Arab people. Right. Yeah. Tales of a Thousand and One Nights. I mm-hmm. think. And the timeline is right for this. 
you know, it's the, the, the 90s. You have various uh, films and uh, hopping, you know, sort of clinging on films that come off of, out around the same theme. And it's the sort of film that you probably wouldn't have seen, the kind of thing that just a, a trailer came out, you heard about it, you didn't watch it. The false memory kind of gets stored away incorrectly. Yeah. Sin, I gotta say, Sinbad is one of these guys. And look, Sinbad, if you're listening, I, this is nothing against you, buddy, but I, I just don't really have any memory of anything he actually was in. Just a memory of him being a pop culture figure, right? Like, yeah. I think he was in that Cosby Show spinoff, A Different World. But other than that, I don't remember anything he was in. Oh, I, I feel like he was in. Like here, here's a potential. If you told me, "Hey, Sinbad was in Stallone's Judge Dredd movie. He played one of the other judges," <laughs> I would be tempted to believe you, yeah. um, even though I, I've seen the the film and yeah. and and actually, I think prefer it to the most recent Judge Dredd film. What? Yeah, oh, I love the new Dredd film. The new Dredd film, the new Dredd film was 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 very entertaining, but um, I feel like. I feel like both of these films get something wrong about the 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 actual comic book. World oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That it's a satire. Yeah. yeah. So I really I really need those two films to sort of come together into one film. And and I maybe need it to, will in your memory after a couple of years. Yeah. I need I need talking robots and uh, and Italian uh, nannies <laughs> and uh, and aliens. I need all the wacky stuff in there to really buy into. Yeah. It. Totally. All right. So. At this point, I think we've we've given you a good idea of how the false memory of Shazam or what have you can emerge. But what we're going to get into after this next break is then how do we share it? How do we end up in this weird scenario where we're talking to other people and and, and reminiscing about things that simply were not so? All right, we're back. So, OK, we've got a little bit more from that. Eon article to discuss here about false memories leading us into what's actually happening. Right. Amat argues that, that a lot of this, you know, is kind of come down to, to two issues. Uh, one is definitely the case, suggestibility, which we'll get to. But then there's also confabulation. So confabulation is the brain's attempt to fill in missing memory gaps by adding fabricated facts and experiences. This is tied to various neurological disorders like stroke, brain injury, Alzheimer's, um, Korsakoff syndrome, epilepsy, schizophrenia. But here's the thing, too. It can happen to healthy individuals as well. Yeah, I have a note here about how the term is used clinically, confabulation. And it refers to memory defects that are experienced when patients have brain damage. But yeah. it also applies to everyday events, like when we embellish the truth while recounting events. For instance, she brings up one particular case. So there's a there's a Redditor with the name Epic Journeyman, who apparently was key in, 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 you know, being a, I guess a, a you know, spokesman for the idea that, uh, that Shazam existed. Okay. And, uh, he worked at a video store in the nineties and he had to watch multiple copies of, uh, of film several times to verify that the, you know, the tape wasn't damaged and they could actually rent it again. Or they, or if a renter complained, they'd have to, you know, like watch it through. And, uh, and so in this case, he was he was uh, he was engaging in this uh, repetitive uh, unpacking of memory, and uh, she says that this uh, this is a situation where confabulation seems to be more frequent. Okay, so that's a possibility that that's that's what occurred with this particular individual. But then uh, to draw in uh, Schachter's um, commentary, not not particular to uh, uh, Mandela 
uh, syndrome or, or what have you, but just memory in general. Uh, he talks a lot about uh, flashbulb memories. So these are uh, memories of events, you know, very emotional events such as 9-11, uh, and uh, and they're stored in the amygdala, an emotion processing center of the brain. This particularly involved in fear. So, uh, uh, the, the basic situation here is that uh, the amygdala focuses so heavily on emotions that it doesn't store all the details of an event. Uh, but uh, because our emotions are so involved in recalling flashbulb memories, we remain confident about them, and this confidency uh, spills over into poorly remembered details. So the example here is when you have people who, uh, and this has been tested in studies, the idea that when asked, people say, oh, yeah, I remember what I was eating for breakfast when when 9-11 occurred. I remember what shirt I was wearing, yeah. you know, my shoes. And the, the, you see examples of this in other, you know, very emotional events, uh, the idea that it's just, you know, etched in the stone of memory. But uh, but when when we've been able to, to, to check up on that, we find that that's, you know, not the case, that the brain is is filling in the blanks in these flashbulb memories. Yeah, I mean, when I think back to 9-11, what I was doing that morning, I don't remember what I had for breakfast. I don't remember what I was wearing, but I like distinctly remember being at my job, mm-hmm. the radio being on and us listening intensely to what was happening. And then at the time I lived in Boston, when I looked out the windows, there were uh, fighter jets flying overhead because right. the planes had flown out of Logan. And... I remember all those things distinctly, but I'm remembering those memories, right? Like it's right. like I'm looking at like a like a movie file uh and it's slightly distorted, right? Or right. blurry. So all these examples we've discussed so far, these might not explain everything, but I think they're enough to create certain individuals who are who are very confident in their memory of something, even though that memory is false. Mm. And then it just has to be planted in the heads of others. And luckily, we're quite susceptible to that sort of thing. So we've already talked about misinformation, be it you know a deliberate misinformation campaign on social media, or me telling you know making something up and telling somebody about the boss of a of a 1989 video game. Mm. And um, in, in these cases, it's been it's been shown in uh, in studies that misinformation can actually compromise the fidelity of an existing memory. Uh, this is the the reason leading questions are so frowned upon in journalism and objectionable in a court of law. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, if you're asking the question that is kind of inserting the answer into the uh, the individual's mind. Yeah, if you ever want to be more terrified by our justice system, mm-hmm. be on a jury. For like a couple days and then go into the deliberation room and see how well you and your fellow jurors remember everything that was presented to you and how you recollect it back to each other. Because it's it's scary how everybody remembers things a little bit differently and then the jurors can kind of start like convincing one another that they remembered something the wrong way necessarily or the right way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it relates, could just basically boils down to comments and suggestions uh, made when a person is trying to recall a past experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this ties in with uh, some of what we talked about with alien abduction or, or allegations of uh, ritual satanic abuse, where an individual, uh, you know, and it's even more complicated if it's a very young individual, but they're being questioned about what happened. And if there are seeds being planted, uh, in that questioning, while they're trying to recall, then it can it can alter the memory. Yeah, well, we talked about that at, at length uh, in the alien abduction episode. There's 
all kinds of factors that can lead to faulty memories, right? We're talking about everything in distortions from bias to association to imagination, sometimes even peer pressure, right? So like the, the jury example I was just giving. That's because our memory is constructive, not reproductive. We think of it as being reproductive, but it's not. The brain actually builds memories out of various pieces of information, and then it plays them back like a recording. And this is why when you're discussing a memory, we often say – here on the show, we often say, you're not remembering what happened. You're remembering the last time you remembered it, the last yeah. time you watched that file, that recording, right? And real quick, some more uh, notes on false memories that we covered in Alien Abduction. So false memory implantation, it's important to recognize that this does happen in hypnotherapy, but most hypnotherapists are earnest about their desire to help patients. Uh, but experimental psychology has actually shown it's it's pretty easy to implant false memories in an individual's mind. So there was a 1994 study where researchers were able to implant false memories of getting lost in a shopping mall in participants when they never had been lost in the huh. shopping mall. And then in another 2001 study, they showed that even when events are unlikely, such as alien abduction, they can be implanted as false memories. This leads to suggestive information being presented to the participants and that can increase the plausibility or implausibility of an event to them. So take, for example, a newspaper, right? Yeah, I mean, there have been numerous studies that have that backed this up with research showing that suggestion can influence how we perform memory tasks, how we learn tasks, our product preference, response to supplements and medications even. So the mm -hmm. placebo effect comes into play. Uh, one example, personal example that comes to my mind is so growing up, when my family would have boiled eggs, like hard-boiled eggs, yeah. my mom would enjoy, uh, always enjoy putting mustard on them. Okay. And I I don't think I actually put mustard on it. I, I, I mean, I wasn't like, ooh, yuck, but I didn't do it. Yeah. And then at some point, like in grade school, I had to write a story, and I wrote a story about someone who put mustard on an egg, and – and my my mom got to read it. And then at some point, my mom was like, oh, you, you really like mustard on your eggs. Let me get mustard out for you. And and it ends up with me loving putting mustard on my eggs like like it made it happen. Like somehow yeah. the false memory got implanted in my head and then became a reality. <laughs> but I know that I didn't always love mustard on, on my egg. It, this is yeah. a ridiculous thing to uh, spend any time discussing. But it's, I think it's a mi you know, mild example, and I imagine everyone else has these mild examples yeah. as well, where the idea gets implanted in your head and becomes a reality. Yeah, I think actually that's a really good like area, uh, like a fertile area for researching on this is like – Things that we have convinced ourselves that we like or don't like food-wise yeah. over the course of time, yeah? And then, of course, with childhood memories, there's a lot of this, too, where mm -hmm. you have to ask yourself, do I remember this or was I told that this happened yeah. by my parents and now I remember it being so? Right. Like your parents say, boy, you hated Brussels sprouts. And the next time Brussels sprouts show up on your plate, you're like, wait, do I like these or not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, in 1996, there was this other study, McNally and Clancy researched memory function in women who believed that they'd recovered memories of sexual child abuse. And they found that such victims were actually more likely to create false memories of non-traumatic events in the lab. So not false memories of their abuse, but of non-traumatic events than the women who had always remembered being sexually abused. Uh, and that women, and also women who had never been abused, right? So this is actually what led to them studying alien abductions because they were like, we can't implant false memories of sexual abuse in mm -hmm. these people. That's unethical. We need to come up with something 
that that we're pretty sure didn't happen, but they that we can maybe trick them into thinking happened. What about alien abduction? Huh. Yeah. Now, another study on false memory implantation comes from Darren Strange, Marianne Gary, Daniel M. Bernstein, that's Bernstein, not Bernstein, and D. Stephen Lindsay, and it's titled, Photographs Cause False Memories for the News. This is the newspaper one I was telling you about. In this study, participants were tested to see if false memories were more prevalent when images were used in conjunction with words rather than when words were used alone, okay? So participants would look at 10 newspaper headlines for four seconds each. Sometimes the headlines were real, sometimes they were fake. And after each viewing, they were asked to rate on a scale of one to five how confident they were that they actually recognized the story. Now, when a picture was next to the headline, participants were way more likely to remember a false event as being a real thing. And on the true events, the participants were totally comfortable reporting when they did not remember it at all. So that wasn't a factor here. It wasn't like these uh, participants were scared to admit they didn't know anything. They would admit to it if they didn't remember something that actually happened. Now, the data here supports the idea that images can cause false memories. And according to this, memories seem to need a support system to make them personally believable to us. What provides that support? Pictures. As we search through our memories, we're looking for cues and we provide evidence for our memories so we can make sure they're accurate with these images. So this is even scarier, especially when you take into account you and Joe talked about this in the Uncanny Valley episodes about how easy it is to replicate uh, images and now we're getting closer to replicating video of things people didn't actually do or say, right? Like yeah. I just actually related to what you guys uh, had talked about in that episode. I just saw a video the other day. Somebody did a CGI Barack Obama and had him saying things that he didn't really say in real life. And it was, it wasn't quite there yet, but you know what I'm saying? Like we're going to get to a point mm-hmm. where that can be floating around out there and again, media literacy is important. You need to be able to determine, is this something that I can trust to remember my – to ensure my memory is accurate or is this something I need to like judge on a different system? Yeah, it, it's interesting this – when we're discussing the ability to use the internet and modern technology to fact check ourselves because I think that's where – a lot of the this the the, the, uh, the situation of the Mandela effect emerges from because we've always had you know false information kicking around in the back of our head you know and and memories that have been become skewed over time yeah but with the with with the internet at hand with for instance IMDb at hand we've been in the position to just instantly look up Sinbad's biography and see what's on there. Yeah. And and so we're forced to confront a lot of our, um, our 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 false memories and then discuss them with each other. But is IMDb community built the same way like Wikipedia is? Oh yeah, I don't mean to imply that IMDb is infallible. Okay, okay. <laughs> but but it is a pretty good source. And yeah. if, and if you do not see a, a film that you remember on there, then uh, then it's a pretty good sign that, that something's up. I'm just imagining this Redditor guy that you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier, like constantly going in and editing IMDb and Wikipedia on Sinbad's pages and like oh, yeah. adding Shazam there. <laughs> well, I, about, I guess, 10 years or more uh, ago, I remember there being a few cases of films that don't exist in IMDb that had oh, been yeah. 
been fraudulently put there. And they're always a lot of fun because they had weird descriptions. Yeah. I haven't looked into this recently, but I, I I don't know that there's anything like that anymore. I would love to hear if there are any like known false films in IMDb or if that's something that has been completely removed through oversight or just the hive mind of uh, the people involved. Yeah, I get the impression just overall from Wikipedia that the act, the community is so active that like, I don't know, they're, they're paying attention and they're able to sort of, for the most part, keep uh, things factual. I, I, I know for the most part when I visit Wikipedia, this is one of the reasons why we don't do our research based on Wikipedia. Right. It is a good place though to go find sources, uh, for further research. But for instance, like I, almost always if there's an article that's in dispute, it's got one of those, uh, what do you call them? Like there, there's like a header up on top that mm-hmm. lets you know, hey, some of the information in this article is up for dispute right now. Yeah. Um, now strange, this is Darren strange, <laughs> which is an interesting name for a psychologist, yeah, right? Not Hugo, right? Right. Uh, strange had other colleagues and went on to publish another experiment in 2008. This showed that it's easier to implant false memories in people for an event that supposedly happened when they were two years old rather than when they were 10 years old. And basically this shows that our childhood memories are sparse and they lack detail. So we fill them in with distortions from other information. So going back to our food example, right? Like things our parents tell us that we did or we believed or we felt, uh, you know, up until, I don't know, maybe age five or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you sort of take that on as fact. Yeah. You know, I think this, uh, this gets a little bit into the, um, the power of creepypasta because there mm. are certain creepypasta tales that sort of play on this. The idea that, Hey, everybody remembers this, right? Uh, yeah. and, uh, and then goes from there crafting some uh, form of fiction. That reminds me, we're coming up on October. We're going to oh, yeah. need to pull out a creepypasta episode again this year. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there's, uh, hopefully there's, there's fuel for one, at least one there's more. There's gotta be. Yeah. yeah. Part four. Uh, there was that whole TV show that came out after we did the last oh, one. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there are other studies to support mass distortions of memories as well. And we're not going to go through all of them, but here's two more that I want to give you. First is in 2005, Stephen Lewandowski and his colleagues showed that Americans were more likely than Australians and Germans to falsely remember that actual weapons of mass destruction were found in Iraq. So that's pretty interesting. Like, like your, your memory distortions can be based on your national identity. Huh. And then another study in 2007 showed that when we look at doctored photos of past public events, that can distort our memory. So Tying back into that newspaper study, you have to really be careful about what you believe now because it's so easy to to use Photoshop essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there's other examples where two people witness the same event, then they discuss it, and one person's memory can contaminate the other, kind of like how you did with Top Gun, the video game, Top Gun 2, the video game. Um, let's tackle quickly the two big uh, Mandela effect ones though, okay? So we've got Berenstain versus Berenstein bears, okay? Maybe the explanation is just simply that names ending in Stein are more common than names ending in Stain. But because we have this prior association, we think it's Berenstein. Or Nelson Mandela's death. Frankly, the only two moments people in America, for the most part, seem to be familiar with Mandela are when he was imprisoned and when he died. And so it's possible that they're piecing together a false memory from these disparate pieces of information. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so 
leading us out here, what if, what if this, what if this Mandela effect stuff that's sprinkling up and we're, we're considering it now. And I think we've gotten past the point that like you and I are pretty sure this is an alternate dimensions at play. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm pretty positive. Yeah. What if it's a good thing? What if this is a necessary thing for the human mind in a paper for Frontiers in Psychology from 2012, Adam D. Brown, Nicole Curry, and William Hurst argued that there's growing evidence that the reconstructive process of memory, which includes its distortions, might provide us with greater cognitive flexibility. So this helps, for instance, support the construction and maintenance of your identity. Subsequently, the malleability of an individual's memory can then transform shared collections in a group. And then through social interactions, we try to take out distinct individual memories and make them converge together with other people's memories. And from this emerges a collective memory, which establishes our collective identity. So maybe all of this isn't as much like a flaw in our programming as it is like a, like a, a tactic, a strategy that the, the human mind uses as a social animal. Yeah, when you realize that your memory and recollection is not just this iron chain, uh, you know, reaching back through time behind you, there's there's something liberating in that. Like you, you yeah. can realize that you have a certain amount of control over your own memories, over your own identity based on those, and you're not just a you know a slave to what has come before. Yeah, yeah, very much so. All right, audience. Look, I'm dying to hear what your examples of the Mandela effect are, because if there are 22 up there out there on BuzzFeed, I'm sure our audience has got even more than that. So let us know what some of your examples are. Let us know what you think. Did we come down a little too hard on the alternate realities theory or should we do an episode on alternate realities in the future? Maybe we will. Yeah. And if you want to check out all the episodes of the podcast, you want to check out videos, blog posts, etc. Head on over to stufftoblowyourmind.com. You'll also find links out to our various social media accounts. That's right. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. We also have our brand new Facebook discussion module up for people who want to chat with each other about the show in particular. Uh, or you can maybe sometimes get find us in there. We're occasionally lurking around in there and we'll comment on things as well. Yeah, yeah there's a fun thread uh, that just popped up in there in the last uh, few hours about uh, contemplations of mortality. Oh, um, yeah, I saw yeah. that. Yeah. yeah so, so stuff like that's pretty fun. doesn't even necessarily tie in directly to an episode. Uh, and hey, if you want to reach out to us directly and get in touch and discuss this episode or others, make suggestions, uh, you can do so by emailing us at belowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. <laughs>